0: Okay, so tonight, uh, I, I do have a word for us, and it's from, we're going to start in Matthew 28 tonight, and since we had baptisms this evening, I, I was just thinking about baptism and, and everything that it means, and uh, for me, I was baptized 33 years ago, so it's been a while since I got down into the tank and, and went under the water. And uh, I I have some pictures of my baptism. I I keep them with me. I keep them on my desk. And uh, here I am as a little boy, a seven-year-old boy. You you obviously can't see them, but I can see them. I'm looking at them here. And I I was just stirred, uh, stirred thinking about baptism and and what it means. And and so I, I wanted to share some things with you tonight on the subject of baptism in in a way that I hope would stir your heart uh, about what it means and to to stir your affection again for the Lord by by stirring up the meaning of baptism in our heart. And so, of course, we know that that baptism is a symbolic ceremony of your union with Christ and His death, His burial, His resurrection. Colossians 2.12 tells us this, that we have been buried with Him in baptism and we were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so baptism clearly symbolizes the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And it symbolizes that we have died to our old life and that we have been washed clean of sin and that we have risen to new life in Christ. And it's through baptism that we all have publicly professed and identified ourselves along with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. After they they read their testimony, I I asked them a few questions. And what what I'm asking them in those moments is, I I want them once again to profess their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what this is. That's what baptism is all about. Just as Jesus died and was buried and, and rose again... So our old life of sin and shame and defeat and brokenness has been buried with Christ. And we have a new life now. We have new life in Christ. Amen. And, and it shouldn't be that just because we maybe were baptized 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, the, the new life shouldn't get old. You understand what I'm saying? That the new life in Christ is is new every morning. The Bible says His mercies are towards us. That the new life shouldn't get old. We need to keep ourselves stirred up on on these truths of of the new life that we have in Christ. And so I want to reflect on on some of these uh, tonight. And and as we do, I, I want you to think back on, I want you to reflect on when you were baptized. When was that? Now, for seven of you, that was 20 minutes ago. So it's not very hard to, to reflect on that. But, but for some of us, it, it was quite a while ago. I want, you to, I want you to think back to that moment, to think back of, of that profession of faith that you made in Christ. And, and as we go through uh, the, the sermon tonight, I, I want you to keep that moment, that memory in the forefront of your mind. The forefront of your mind. So, Matthew chapter 28. And before we read this passage, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet, it is a light unto our path. Lord, your word is a supreme blessing to us. As we open your word tonight, we are hearing the very words of the true and living God. So your word has power. Your word has authority. Your word brings life. Your word comforts us. Uh, It's through your word and your spirit working together that you form and fashion and shape us into the people that you've called us to be. I pray that you would do your work in our lives tonight as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you think about baptism. Just the mechanics of it is, is a very unique practice. It, you, you, you know, work, if you grew up in the faith, if you grew up in Christianity like I did, it, it's, it becomes routine. It just becomes, it's just what we do. But if you think about it, if you think about Having somebody go down and get into the water and they make a big mess and then they got to go dry off and it's a kind of a complicated process and why do we do this? Why do we baptize believers? What, what, what is it that compels us to have people go down into the water? The water was nice and warm tonight. I thank the Lord for Pastor Terry and Taki who worked really hard to make sure that the tank was warm tonight. But I have to tell you, there's been times where it's been very cold that they've gone down into that water. Why do we do this? Do we just do it because that's what we do? Because that's what we've always done. That's what Christians do. They baptize and get baptized. So we get baptized. If if the only reason why we are practicing baptism is simply for tradition, because that's what we do... We're missing the point. We're missing a whole lot of value that the Lord wants us to have in this whole ordeal. And so I want to turn again to Matthew 28. We're going to turn to the Word of God. Why is it that we do this? Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, everybody say all, all, all all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the answer to the question of why we baptize can be summed up very simply as Jesus told us to. That's reason enough. That's reason enough. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, do it. That's reason enough. Amen? Amen. Now you might say, well, who is this Jesus and and who is his guide that that says that we should go into all the nations and make disciples of them, make make the nations follow Christ and to do so by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that that he has commanded. Who is this Jesus and, and why should we listen to him? Well, he just defeated death. He just got out of the grave. He he just rose again to new life. He had just died on the cross for sin, to pardon humanity from sin. Before he went to the cross and died, he went around saying things like, I am God in the flesh. He went around saying that he was not just any god, He was saying he was the one true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth. He predicted his own death and resurrection. He lived a life without sin. He died and he rose again. And just after he said these words, he flew into heaven. That's why we listen to what he says. Because he is who he said he was and he did what he said he was going to do. Amen. Amen. And so we baptize because Jesus told us to baptize and because Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because Jesus is God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. Because Jesus is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so we baptize in obedience to his authority. That's what it means when he says to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It means to baptize them in the authority of Christ. Baptize them in the authority of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Listen, there's no power above Jesus. There's no authority above Jesus. There's no court, there's no Congress, there's no elected official, there's no appointed official. Higher than Jesus Christ. And we as believers, we we march in lockstep to what he says. And so Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in my name. Baptize them in my authority. And so... That's the first thing I want to draw your attention to tonight. We're going to look at three. The first one is the Lord's command. The Lord's command. The Lord commanded it. The second thing we're going to look at tonight is the apostle's example. So he preaches to his apostles. He, he tells them what to do. He gives them these instructions. And what do they do? What do the apostles then do and, and how is that an example for us? So that's Acts chapter 2. Flip over with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. So we see the, the Lord's command, but then what is it that the apostles do? After Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells them to wait. For the promise of the Father to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To to wait until they are endued with power from on high. Because if they try to go out and fulfill this great commission that He gave them in their own strength and power, of course they will utterly fail. So they must wait for the, the, the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. They begin to speak in other tongues. A crowd is drawn together in all of this commotion. And Peter stands up on this day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, in the same city where Jesus Christ had been crucified, falsely accused, put on trial, murdered at the hands of Rome and the Jewish establishment. In the same city to the same crowds that had cried out in unison, crucify him, crucify him. Peter stands up and preaches to the crowds that had crucified Jesus and says, hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. This Jesus that you crucified, his grave is empty. Let me tell you why this grave is empty. Because he's not in the grave anymore, he's seated on a throne in heaven. The one you crucified, he's actually the creator God. He's actually the one with all power, with all authority. And he has poured out his spirit and his power upon the church. And this is in fulfillment to all that God had promised to our people. And so in verse 36, he says, Peter, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. This people that had been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years, waiting for a Redeemer. Humanity lost, waiting for the Savior. The Jewish people waiting for their King, waiting for their Messiah. Peter tells them, you missed Him. And not only did you miss Him, you killed Him. They hear this message About how now Jesus is Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. In verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The gospel message penetrated their hard hearts. How hard were their hearts? They had crucified Jesus. The one who walked on water, the one who opened blind eyes, who opened deaf ears, who made the lame walk, who raised even the dead, who fed the multitudes, they crucified him. How hard were their hearts? As hard as stone. But the gospel message, the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel, it penetrated even their hard hearts. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone who the Lord, our God, draws to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there are added that day about 3,000 souls. So we see in Matthew 28, the Lord's command, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see the apostolic example. What did they do? On the day of Pentecost, what did they do? They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. The very last words that Jesus says are the very first words that Peter says on the day of Pentecost when they ask him this question. What shall we do? Peter doesn't say his own words. Peter Brings the word of the Lord. He says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the apostolic example. They follow what Jesus said. Flip over with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As they begin to plant churches and write down instructions for believers. There are some things that are brought into focus about baptism. We see them sprinkled throughout the New Testament letters. In Ephesians chapter 4, we we see an example of this as as we're looking at the apostles' example. In verse 4 of Ephesians 4, Paul writing, he he's talking about the unity we have of the Spirit. That we have as believers, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says that there is one body. You know, there's one body of Christ? Did you know that? Though, though there are many local churches, there is one true body of Christ. Amen? And every true believer is part of that one body. This is why I am closer even to brothers and sisters in Christ that I've never met before that live on the other side of the world. I share something with them than even some extended members of my natural family. Because we share a bond that is in the bond of the Spirit. We are part of one body. So he says there is one body and one Spirit, of course the Holy Spirit, he says, just as you were called to one hope. There's only one hope. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. One hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I want to zero in on this phrase he uses here. One Baptism. One baptism. There's not many baptisms. In in this long list of things that he says there are one of, he includes baptism in that. One baptism. Now I want you to understand that baptism is a great equalizer. You, You notice that every single person we baptized today, they got into the same tank. Did you notice that? There there wasn't one baptism for the rich person and one baptism for the poor person. There's not one baptism for the man and one for the woman. There's not one baptism for uh, the educated and then the the uneducated. And even in Paul's day, think about this, you had Roman officials, very prestigious people in the eyes of, of the world, who were part of the church in Ephesus, Roman officials, I mean, very, very wealthy people who, who, who prided themselves in, in their look and their appearance and all of the pomp and all of that that went around their position, Roman citizens. But in Ephesus, you know what else you had? You had slaves. You had slaves in Ephesus who were also part of the body of Christ, who were also part of the church. And guess what? They all got into the same baptism. There's not one baptism for the free man and one baptism for the slave. There's not one baptism for the rich and one for the poor. It's not discrimination on, upon Jew and one baptism for Gentile. No, there is one body and there is one baptism. And we all walk into the same water. It is the great equalizer. Why? Before, because before Christ, we we're all the same in God's eyes. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. You, you may come from a very prestigious family, very prestigious background. You may even come from a noble birth. Guess what? The Bible says you're lost in sin without Christ. The Bible says we all need Jesus. We all pass through the same baptismal waters. We all confess the same confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. I just want you to understand that this is a radical idea. We we live in a world that this is not the norm and has never been the norm for all of human history. All of human history has people dividing themselves into different groups based on different categories. Do you understand that? And, and for a brief moment in time, in this nation, there, there was a, a fight against that. The Declaration of Independence says we understand these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. But even now in this nation, once again comes and and this idea rears its ugly head of dividing people into their groups, into their identities. Do do you see that happening? But it's not that way in the church. It shouldn't be that way in the church. This is a radical idea. This is a radical idea. And it's not a it's it, it's not of human origin. It's of divine origin. That you and I are one. You and I are one. You, you see we 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 try to do all of these things to to, to try and position ourselves in, in ways that, that that sort of elevate us above other people. We do it all the time. It's constant in our life, it's constant in our culture. But the believer, and only the believer knows that without the grace of God, that without the the sprinkled blood of Christ, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. It's Jesus on the throne and everybody else. Do you understand that? Is Jesus on the throne, and everybody else? We're all on equal footing. I know I stand up here on a stage; it's just so you can see me. That's it. It's not because I deserve some sort of elevated position. I'm on the same footing as you. I'm on the same footing as you. Baptism is a picture of the a picture of that for us. One body, one baptism. There's not many baptisms. We need to not let the enemy bring division to the church. Ba- baptism is, is a great unifying factor. It's, it's, it's somewhat ironic that debates over baptism... And how you should do it, and should you sprinkle, should you dunk, what should you say, should you baptize babies or not, all of these things about baptism, which should be a great unifier that the enemy has used that to divide the church over the centuries. It's somewhat ironic. It's not because there's a flaw in baptism, let me tell you. It's because there's a flaw in us. You understand that? But when we when we see our, our dear brothers and sisters going into the tank, being baptized in obedience to the Lord, brothers and sisters, we are welcoming them into our family. Amen? Well, who should be baptized? That, that raises a question: who should be baptized? And the the again, the apostolic example that we're looking at is that. It is believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who should be baptized. People who have made a credible profession of faith. And so that's what's typically called credo-baptism. People who ascend or believe the creeds of the Christian faith. They believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so this, for us, excludes... um, Infant baptism, because again, the example we see in the New Testament, the example we see in the scripture, is that um, everyone who is baptized are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not baptize people who do not believe in Jesus. And again, that's the example that we see from the apostles. Baptism is only given to those who have believed in Jesus Christ. We see no evidence in the New Testament of anyone receiving baptism who isn't first a believer. This then raises the question for us, okay, then what age is appropriate? I believe it's different for for every person. I believe it's different for every child. I believe it's different for every family. I believe it's up to the parents to work with their children and And help them to get ready for baptism. And when they're ready to come and say, Hey, my child would like to be baptized. So like I said, I was seven years old when I was baptized. Did I understand everything about Jesus that I do now? No. But he was my Lord. He was my Savior and I was ready. And so I don't have a problem baptizing a young child um, because if, if, if their parents believe they're ready and they've walked through that process I know that it can be very meaningful and bear good fruit in their lives. Amen. So the, the, the Lord's commandment, the apostle's example and that leads us to our third point tonight which is the believer's response. The believer's response. And so I would invite you to turn back with me to Romans chapter 6. Turn back a couple pages in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. The believer's response. Those who have believed on Christ, what should our response be? In Romans 6, I'm going to start in verse 1. He starts to deal with baptism. ...in verse 3, but I want to start in verse 1 so we get the context. Romans chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The believer's response is, number one, to be baptized. If you believe in Jesus Christ... You must be baptized. You need to be baptized. Notice here that he he, he makes no... uh, There's no thought in his mind here for the church at Rome for believers who have been baptized and believers who haven't been baptized. Notice here he doesn't say that, well, for those who have been baptized, we walk in newness of life. And, And those of you who haven't yet been baptized... No, there... There's no concept in the New Testament of believing and not being baptized. And so if you are a believer here, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Christian's response, the believer's response is to be baptized, is to go into the water and to obey the Lord by following this command. And then he says that we should walk in newness of life not continuing in our lives the way that we used to live them, not continuing in the same sin and the patterns of sin that the Lord has set us free from. That's the Christian's response to walk in the new life that God has given us. Quickly, last passage tonight, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, these little references to baptism sprinkled through the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. He's talking about how we're all one in Christ and and we're part of the body of Christ. In verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, For just as the one body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I want you to notice the alls in that statement. We were all baptized, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Baptism for the Christian is not optional. It's not optional. In fact, this is what marks you as a Christian. This is what marks Christian discipleship and Christian obedience. The Apostle Paul can rightly assume that everyone who's reading this letter that he wrote, who's hearing this part about being baptized, that they have been baptized. Why? Why? Because if you are a believer, you believe that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. He's not just Lord spiritually in some sort of detached reality from your life. No, Jesus is Lord of of you right here, right now. That He's Lord of your thoughts, He's Lord of your words, He's Lord of your actions. Jesus is your Lord. And he commanded that you be baptized in his authority, in his name. And so baptism is our first step in our walk with the Lord. Baptism is our first step of submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's through baptism that we publicly renounce all allegiance to all authority other than Jesus Christ as supreme in our lives. Other authority exists in the world, I don't deny that. If when I leave here tonight, I drive 95 miles down I-10, I expect to be pulled over by the authority that rules over the streets of San Antonio. And rightfully so. I understand that. There's other authority. But let me tell you something. There's an authority above all other authorities. Amen? And, and where a lesser authority contradicts what the Lord has said, well, we, we just have to obey the Lord rather than men. Again, that's the apostolic example. And so I must submit to Jesus Christ as my Lord, and in baptism... I renounce allegiance to all other authority as supreme in my life. And I say Christ is the supreme authority. This is the first action that Christ, listen, demands of his followers is that we make a public declaration of our faith. Peter repeated the words of the Lord on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized. Baptism is the decisive visible entry point into the kingdom of God. It visibly signifies that we have been transferred from sin to faith, transferred from darkness to light, from being dead in Adam to being alive in Christ. Again, the last words of Christ, the first words of the apostle Peter to these new believers, repent and be baptized. Baptism is the moment that discipleship begins. Of course, that means following Christ. If I'm going to follow Christ, my first step is to be baptized. If you have not, and I would, I would go as far as to say this, and this is a bold statement, but I believe that it's true, and I say it in love. If you have not been baptized, you are not following Jesus. Jesus. Because to follow Jesus, we must be baptized. Now, I do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, not by the baptismal waters. We're washed clean from our sin, not by the water of the baptism, but by the blood of the cross. So while baptism is not necessary for salvation... It is necessary to follow Christ. It is necessary for discipleship. And tonight, what we saw was a very precious moment for these believers as they made this public declaration before all of us as witnesses. What they publicly declared to us is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Because they have shared in that profession of faith, we welcome them in as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is Lord. And as they, as, as they made that declaration, and, and as I asked you at the beginning this, morning, uh, this evening to, to think back to when you were baptized, when you made that declaration, when you made that profession of faith, Jesus is Lord I want you to notice something I'm not saying I'm not putting that qualifier in there the word my Jesus is my Lord you can say that but I want you to know something It's Jesus is Lord period Jesus is Lord he's not just my Lord he's everybody's Lord and what baptism is, is a profession of the recognition of, that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is Lord. And so that means we submit to Christ above all else. That means that we, we, we submit to obeying him and his word. Of course, we all fall short. How many of you have sinned since you were baptized? Okay, I mean, it doesn't mean that we will be perfect. It doesn't mean that we will be perfect. There's not one of us in here without sin. And even though we made a profession of faith, even though we, we made a vow even to follow Jesus, because to say Jesus is Lord is to say, I will follow Jesus, I will obey your word. And though we have made that vow, all of us have fallen short of keeping it. That's why I love the Bible verse that says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Even when we don't live up to the vow that we made, Jesus is Lord, even though there are times when our flesh exercises lordship over our hearts and we fall into sin. That's why we come back once again week after week to the communion table. It's through communion also that we make that declaration. Jesus is Lord. Baptism is a public profession of faith. It's the right response for the believer. And it's a vow that we make to God before others publicly that we will follow Christ. Now, our world doesn't think much of vows today, it's very obvious. We live in a world that breaks vows constantly. We only look at, need to look at the state of marriage in our culture to understand that vows mean little to nothing in the world. But it ought not be that way among God's people because vows mean a lot to God. Though the world might not hold them in much esteem or in vogue, The the, the world today esteems feelings above vows and commitments as though feelings were the ultimate, the the highest uh, thing to ascend to, just how how something makes you feel. There's something more powerful than feelings. It's commitment. It's a vow before God. There are days when I have to, I'll admit to you, in my flesh I don't feel like following Christ, believe it or not. There are times driving on I 35 that I have not wanted to follow, be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a follower of the devil and tell that guy where he could go. You understand what I'm saying? If I followed my feelings, I wouldn't follow Christ. But I made a vow that Jesus was my Lord. I might have been seven years old when I made it. I might not have understood all that it meant on that day. I understand what it means today. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And I hope that you too, as we reflect on baptism and, and what it means to follow Christ and to live for Jesus, that we, we, are, we go through this process of baptism. Yes, it represents life, death, burial, resurrection with Christ. But ultimately, it is a public declaration that I belong to Jesus. Amen. That he is my Lord. That he is the one who is the ultimate authority in my life. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. I made a vow and I'm going to keep that vow. I hope that as you saw these precious uh, people tonight making that profession of faith, I I hope it stirred in you uh, remembrance of the time when you passed through those same waters. when You passed through the the water of baptism. When you publicly declared that your life of sin and your life of of living for the world was over and that you were now living for Christ. I, I hope that it reminded you of that vow tonight. When you did that, when we all did that and made that declaration, we were initiated into the body of Christ, the, the physical, the visible church, the, the, the visible body of Christ. If you're like me, your walk with the Lord hasn't been perfect since then. It's probably been a winding road of ups and downs, successes and failures, victories and defeat. But however imperfect our walk has been, we serve a perfect and faithful God. And he has been with us every step of the way. And he will continue to be with us. And I pray that your love and devotion to him has only grown since that day. That we're not all where we want to be, but I can say by the grace of God, I'm not who I was. I'm not who I was. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was then. Amen. Amen. And I share in the profession with all of you tonight that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord.